Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In the final week of our series on the life of the Apostle Paul, we will look at the end of Paul's recorded ministry in the city of Rome and learn how God's kingdom-building, disciple-making mission continues with us today. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 28 and join us one final time as we imitate Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ. Just so we can be reminded that this is the conclusion, at least in the book of Acts, because there's maybe some indication from history and tradition that Paul had some additional travels, even after what we'll read today. But we uh, should be reminded that at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And here we see that being fulfilled in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was not one of the original disciples, but he was called by Jesus and given authority as an apostle to be a witness, and he was able to take the gospel of the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ and make disciples to the end of the earth, which in uh, this recorded time in history, the end of the earth was the Roman Empire, and Paul finds himself in the very center of it as we'll see in just a moment. So uh, just some context, thinking about where Paul was in his journey. He uh, was shipwrecked on this island called Malta in the Mediterranean Sea. And we read at the beginning of Acts 28 that the natives, and the Greek word there for natives is barbaroi, or barbarioi, which is where we get our English word barbarian, uh, welcomed them, which was interesting. They, they had no concept of who Christ was, but they, they welcomed these men and these prisoners, all 276 of them apparently, and uh, they took them in and they helped them get warm from the cold. Now while they were warming, they had a fire built and a snake slithers out from the fire as it's lit and it attaches itself to Paul's hand. Don't know if it was right or left, but, um, but the natives, these barbarians, immediately think, well, this man must have done something wrong. He must be a bad criminal like these other prisoners because that's the God's way of judging him for his evil. And uh, Paul essentially shakes the snake off and is unaffected, God's sovereign protection of him. And they flip immediately and say, well, he's, he's, he's healed, he's safe, he must be a God. And um, Dale was talking with me a, few, a week or two ago, and he said it's the opposite of what happens with Paul's experience in Lystra, where he and Barnabas perform some healings, and they think they're gods, and they say, no, no, it's, there's the true God. And then by the end of the chapter, they want to stone them. So it's kind of the, the flip side. Initially, these natives think Paul must be worthy of stoning, and then they say he's a god. And that gives Paul a platform to say, no, there is one true god. His name is Jesus. Paul actually heals the father of Publius, who is the sort of governor of the island, of the tribe, the chief. And eventually, Paul begins to heal more sick people as they bring their sick to him. And we find a very similar connection to what Jesus did in his own life and ministry. If you remember those many passages in the Gospels, many brought the sick to him and he healed them. And that's what Paul was doing on the island of Malta. So again, imitating Christ. And uh, we find that Paul and the companions, we see that Luke was a part of this as well, were present on this island for three months because during the winter season, ships really didn't sail. 
probably about mid-February, they would start to head out on the remaining part of their journey for the final destination, at least in the book of Acts, the city of Rome. So we find there are two sections to what we'll look at today in verses 11 through the end of the book of Acts. The first is Paul's arrival in Rome, and then the second is Paul's ministry in Rome. So let's look at Acts 11, or Acts 28, verse 11 through 16, and this is Paul's arrival in Rome. And again, this is where I wish we had the map, but if you can imagine the country of Italy, which looks like a boot, you're basically hearing about places that are at the bottom of the boot moving up the west coast of the boot. If that kind of makes sense, you know, Italy looks like kind of like a boot. You can go back later. We actually will have this PowerPoint on the website for the men's breakfast later if you want to check it out. It's you know, a great map, I will say. So let's, uh, let's read about what happens. And this is happening about A.D. 60 as we think about what's going on in history. And we've tried to emphasize these are real places, real events, and real people because we worship a real God who has always been active throughout history. So let's read verse 11 through 17. Uh, After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered and in the island, that is the island of Malta, in a ship of Alexandria, that would be Alexandria, Egypt, uh, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Uh, the twin gods, if you, if you know Greek mythology and if you know astronomy, these would be the twin gods Castor and Pollux, who were supposedly, according to Greek mythology, twin sons of Zeus and the queen of Sparta. And uh, her name was Leda. And uh, so, yes, there are a whole bunch of lessons about Zeus and why was he having so many children with so many other women. But uh, that's Greek mythology. That's obviously not true. But according to their belief, Castor and Pollux um, were the twin gods who were sort of the patron gods of navigation. And if you know astronomy from your days of learning it, whenever you did, uh, the constellation Gemini, which means twin, the heads of that constellation are the stars Castor and Pollux. And so if you could see those stars on your voyage, that was considered good luck or a good sign because you could navigate and orient yourself to where you were. Um, But this boat was apparently named after these um, twin gods as a way maybe of saying we need good luck to sail the ocean. Now, verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, not New York. Jay, you've got to spend some time up there. Sorry, this is a different Syracuse, but this is where Syracuse, New York gets its name, just, you know. Um, we stayed for three days, and then from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, so it was the south wind to push them north. And on the second day, we came to Patoli. Uh, this is where they would eventually land. And once they reach this part of Italy, they take the rest of their journey on foot. And this, this is, these are some enduring verses here. There we found brothers, brothers in Christ. These are fellow Christians, which is interesting that before Paul gets to Rome, the gospel had already gotten to Rome, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And this is the endearing verse here. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, these brothers in Rome, uh, they came as far as the Forum of Appius. This is a sort of marketplace area, 33 miles south of the city of Rome. 
and the Three Taverns, which is another 10 miles south of that, so 43 miles south of the city of Rome. And they came there to meet us. And on seeing them, listen to this, God, uh, Paul thanked God and took courage. That's the endearing part of the verse there. Um, just thinking about how three years before, Paul had penned through the Spirit's inspiration this incredible letter to uh, the Christian church in Rome, whom he'd never seen. He'd never visited there to, to disciple them. But he wrote this book called Romans, and he sent it off, and he wrote this incredible treatise about who God is and sanctification and justification and uh, God's plan for Israel and, and how that plays into his bigger plan of salvation. And um, he, uh, he wrote a great letter of encouragement to these Roman Christians. And now, if you can imagine, uh, maybe your favorite author, you hear your favorite author is just down south of town. Now, this, of course, was more important because this was a man who had discipled from a distance. And now these Christians in Rome had gotten word that he was to the south of them in the Forum of Appia. And they, they decide, let's go see him. And then let's go see him at the three taverns. And Paul, it just must have been an amazing reunion. Maybe kind of like the one we'll have in heaven when we get to meet these great saints and we get to meet Paul and, and the disciples who we've read about and read from but never met. But here they had an opportunity in this life to meet him. And they shared some moments with him. And Paul, who um, sort of a, he would show his emotion from time to time, but he reveals himself here. Paul thanked God and took courage. What an encouragement that they gave him. Verse 16, and when we came to Rome, we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Oh, to be that soldier. Uh, and even thinking about the testimony that these Christians would have given just by their love and encouragement of Paul to the Roman guard, Julius, who was with him on this whole trip, this whole journey, to make sure that he got safely to Rome. That was Julian's, or Julius's charge, was make sure this prisoner gets to Rome. He is appealed to Caesar. And to see that must have made a profound impact on him, to see the love that brothers and sisters in Christ had for Paul and for one another. Then Paul finds himself in Rome, in his own rented quarters, we believe, where he was able to live under house arrest, so to speak, but a modified house arrest. He, he was able to receive visitors. He was able to write. He was able to minister. And um, it was very favorable. And I wonder about the impact that he made on the life and the lives of the soldier and soldiers that would guard him each and every day. So that was how he arrived in Rome. Then we move to his ministry in Rome. And what we find as we read from verse 17 and following is some very interesting ways that Paul was able to engage with uh, the people of this great city, of the capital, of the empire of the day. So we read in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This would be the, the leaders of the Jewish synagogue. In this day, it was estimated anywhere between 10,000 to 60,000. I know that's a big range, but give the historian some grace. Of Jews, 10 to 60,000 Jews that were living in the, in the capital city of the Roman Empire at this time. And so they must have had quite a, a synagogue presence. And so Paul is able to call the local Jewish leaders to come to him at his rented quarters because he could not go out. 
And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Interestingly, keeping with one of our theme verses of imitate me as I imitate Christ, this word for delivered that we read here in the Greek, which is paradidomi, is the same word that was used repeatedly of Jesus when he was delivered over or betrayed by Judas to the uh, Jews and Roman authorities as well. So uh, again, we see these deep connections in Paul's life to the life of Jesus Christ. But that's the same word that's used throughout the Gospels of Jesus being handed over or delivered or betrayed. Verse 18, uh, when they, that is uh, the, the Romans, and remember Paul was on uh, sort of presenting his case before Governor Felix, when they had examined me, they uh, wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. And if you remember, we talked a little bit about this, and Dale summarized this as well, that even though the Romans found nothing wrong with him, very similar to Pilate and Jesus, the Jews objected and raised a, a stink. And uh, Paul realized that if he was handed back over to be tried by the Jews, he would be, um, he would be killed. And so he said, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to the emperor himself. And that was in Acts 25. Now, verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And there again, Paul is trying to make that connection to his Jewish audience right there that the hope of Israel, who is that? It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that they had all been waiting for. Paul describes him as the hope of Israel. He says, that's why I'm in these chains. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So some scholars say that these Jewish leaders actually knew about Paul and his reputation and that, it, that they didn't have a favorable view. At least here they say, we haven't heard anything negative about you. And maybe that's true as well. But they had heard about this sect described earlier as the sect of the Nazarenes, these Christians. And they'd heard that these were bad people. And Paul was clearly associating himself with them and teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. And so they said, we want to hear more about this. So taking every opportunity to share, Paul invites them back. Verse 23. And they said to him, we have received, uh, I'm sorry, verse 23. And, and when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So they're bringing back maybe more of their leadership team to find out what, uh, what Paul would like to say to them. Uh, and by the way, it's thinking about this too. Whereas in other parts of the Roman Empire, the Jews would stir up trouble and, and take Paul and maybe hope to force the, the Roman guards to, to arrest him and maybe, and maybe hopes of killing him. If you remember back in Acts 18, there was a decree made by the emperor that all Jews were to be uh, 
essentially eliminated from the capital city of Rome for a season because there was suspicion that they were in cahoots with this, what they believed to be an insurrectionist Jesus because of how Christianity grew from the Jewish faith. And so these Roman or these Jewish leaders in Rome were probably a little less eager to stir up trouble, even if they disagreed with what Paul was about to tell them. So they came back in greater numbers, and then from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Um, Testifying, this word has to do with making a solemn declaration about the truth of something, as you would in testifying in a court of law. And a study note from the New English Translation Bible says, testifying about the kingdom of God. The topic is important. Paul's preaching was about the rule of God and his promise in Jesus. Paul's text was the Jewish scriptures. And that's what we read here is that he sought to um, convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he reasoned as he had been from the scriptures that were available to them, the Old Testament, to point them to Jesus Christ. And as we see as the case of many of Paul's ministry efforts, the responses were mixed. Verse 24, And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And here he's going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, which is also quoted by Jesus in the Gospels, including Matthew 13. Uh, As you read this, read it poetically as it was inspired by the Spirit to be read, where we have um, what's called a chiasm, where you have words that are sort of repeated in sequence and then reversed in opposite sequence. But notice the words that are repeated are hear and heart and see and eyes. Verse 26, as Isaiah the prophet originally wrote, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear. And and the word hear is, we've talked about this in the past in this context, this word akuo, where we get our English word acoustics. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And it's a strong negation of the word never, the strongest way to negate the word in the Greek language. Uh, In other words, spiritually speaking, you will be deaf. But hear and you will never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. There's that spiritual blindness. Verse 27, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eye and their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Interesting to think that the the salvation work of God uh, leads to a turning in in the hearing, the seeing, and the heart of believing of an individual to turn and be healed, healed through salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. So the conclusion Then is verse 28, as Paul says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. The same word for hear. So uh, what we find is that um, 
we begin to see this, that Jewish rejection leads to Gentile inclusion more broadly and fully in God's kingdom. And uh, the Gentiles were always designed to be part of God's covenant-redeemed people in the church. But we find that Paul uh, is indicating to these Jewish leaders that they are hard of heart, dull of hearing, blind in the eyes, spiritually speaking. So uh, we find as we approach the end of the book of Acts that uh, the summary verses tell us how Paul spent the next two years. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. I just see God sovereignly, supernaturally providing this way for one man who's stuck. We oftentimes think with all that we've experienced in this pandemic, we've just been stuck. We haven't been able to do what we used to do. And, uh, and yet, I mean, Stan indicated in his opening, we've seen God do amazing things even when we feel like we're stuck and we can't go anywhere. And here one man is stuck and really literally can't go anywhere. And um, we find this is what God did. He brought people to him and he invited those who came to him. And he proclaimed, verse 31 says, the kingdom of God and he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that, gentlemen and friends, is how the book of Acts concludes. Another study note that I read, the word of God is proclaimed triumphantly and boldly in Rome. Acts ends with this note, despite all the attempts to stop it, the message goes forth. And that is the message of God's kingdom work, God's kingdom truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find if you, if you flip back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 reads as follows. This is Jesus. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Then we find at the very end of the book of Acts, what was Paul proclaiming? The kingdom of God. So we find this incredible book is one big inclusio about the work in between of the kingdom of God. It, start, it ends where it begins. Now to give us an idea of what the rest of Paul's life might have looked like, we, we know certain things for sure, but uh, we know during this time in house arrest, Paul would write what are known as his prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. It is believed that after these two years, Paul was released from this house arrest and allowed to go on what some have called his fourth missionary journey. And if that is the case, it seems that he may have even gone as far as my friend Wes's favorite country, the country of Spain. And if that is the case, he was taking the gospel even farther to the ends of the earth. During this time, at some point, he wrote his pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy and Titus and appears to have been at some point rearrested. We're not sure exactly why, but most likely it was proclaiming Jesus when maybe people were saying, don't do that, it's illegal. And he was rearrested and eventually, um, during this time, probably wrote his last letter, the book of 2 Timothy, to a young pastor, Timothy. And at some point was martyred, it is believed, by Emperor Nero when he was emperor of Rome around A.D. 68. So maybe about eight years after we read these final words in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, in this way, fully embodied our verses of 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul was willing to die for the sake 
of the gospel. But yet for him, Philippians 1.21, to die, you know, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So 35 years of missionary ministry, multiple continents touched, countless countries set foot in, probably over 13,000 miles traveled by foot and by ship. One of the most important figures in the first century and throughout all of history, really. So what can we say about this Paul the Apostle as we conclude and think about our lives in following Jesus today? The application is simply this. God's kingdom-proclaiming, disciple-making mission continues today through us. Through us, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, the work that God began in and through the life of Paul continues today. In fact, so much so that um, some would say that we're, we're living in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts, in a sense, as this chapter is still being written and has been written for almost 2,000 years. There is even a church planting network called Acts 29 Church Planting Network because they take to heart that the story that God started is continuing to be written through us is that we are called in this great mission and mandate to make disciples. Um, Richard Longenecker, a scholar, writes the following, In seeming to leave his book unfinished, he, that is Luke, was implying that the apostolic proclamation of the gospel in the first century began a story that will continue until the consummation of the kingdom in Christ. That would be at that time when Christ does return. We are to be engaged in this work, guys, of making disciples who make other disciples. And I know that that is causing my friends uh, in the back to salivate just a little bit. Amen? Um, and just to be reminded that we have an important part to play in this. We, we shouldn't downplay our role. We shouldn't downplay the influence we have because we all have influence in the life of somebody, whether it's children or grandchildren or Children on the way, or um, our families, our neighborhoods, our, our colleagues, friends from high school that we're still in touch with after decades. I, I've just been reminded of that too. We, we, if, as one um, pastor once said, if you're not dead, you're not done. And we are certainly not done. So let's remember some important principles to guide us. And the first is this, that Jesus is with us and he will guide us thinking about all that he promised to do in and through the life of Paul. Even going back to the very beginning of uh, when Paul was first called, and we have um, Jesus speaking to Ananias in the city of Damascus, and he says in Acts 9, 15, and 16, uh, But the Lord Jesus said to him, For Go, for he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. Indeed, that's what Paul eventually did because Jesus, even though Paul suffered, was guiding him and he was with him. Jesus reminded Paul in Acts 23, 11, when times were difficult and Paul was facing some opposition from the Jews in Jerusalem. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and he said in Acts 23, 11, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. And we know that for us today, that Jesus is present through the presence of His Holy Spirit, that He has given to us. 
John 14, 26, Jesus says to his disciples, and we read these words applying to us as well, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is with us. Jesus lovingly guides us because Jesus is our King. And he guides us on this disciple-making mission that he has called us to be a part of, just as he guided the Apostle Paul. And just remember that God is the one in charge of the results. He is the one who ultimately produces kingdom fruit and develops disciples. But he uses us as we avail ourselves to him through the work of his Holy Spirit. This leads to our second principle. That first principle again, Jesus is with us and he will guide us. Principle number two, Jesus is the hope of Israel and the hope of the world. That's what Paul said. He says, I'm in chains for the hope of Israel. He also appointed these Jewish leaders to Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We find that in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the very same book that Paul had written these Roman Christians before he even arrived. He writes in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus is the hope of Israel and the hope of the world. Paul knew this. That is why he proclaimed the gospel to all. Jews and Gentiles alike. Not only is Jesus the hope of the world, he is the hope of glory. Our hope, as we read in Colossians 1, 27 and 28, to them, that is to, um, uh, to the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of glory, our hope. And through that hope, we should mature in him and grow as disciples. Finally, we find that just as Paul pointed the Jews, that all of the scriptures ultimately appoint, point us to Jesus Christ and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Do not look to anyone or anything else for your significance, for your salvation, for your identity, for your, just for anything that leads to uh, your life because Jesus is the source of all of that because He is the hope of Israel, the hope of the world, and the hope of glory. Third and finally, Jesus knows we need one another. Jesus knows we need each other to grow as disciples and followers of him. Think back to those endearing verses, verses 14 and 15, where these brothers and sisters came down 33, 43 miles and left Rome just to see Paul and be with him. And, and how did Paul respond? He thanked God and he took courage. Maybe Paul really was beginning to, we don't know this for sure, maybe he was beginning to wonder. I've just been through it all over 2,000 miles since Caesarea and shipwrecks and all these stops and all this waiting, and I'm tired. 
Maybe like some of us are feeling in this, this current season over this past year plus, we're just tired. We need one another to thank God and take courage, just like Paul did, guys. We find Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We're not meant to live this life in isolation. We're meant to live it with one another in Christ. Jesus knows this because Jesus also needed this. Mark 14, 33 and 34, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch. Jesus needed others in his life. And needless to say, guys, if Jesus needed others, we need others too. And Jesus knows that. That's why he supplies us with one another. Leading to our final verse for the morning from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another. It's a, it's a term almost of, of irritation. Now that doesn't mean that we just make each other upset. That just means that we are living in such a way and relating in such a way and sharing truth in such a way that it's provoking one another to love and good works. And then here's the line. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you for joining us this spring for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. We will resume our podcast again in September. For more information about the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, including updates on our new series in the fall, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. God bless, have a great summer, and we will look forward to connecting with you again in the fall.